This is a Culture Inject production. The Nevers Podcast presents Firefly Back in the Skies. Welcome back to Firefly Back in the Skies. I'm Laura and I'm joined by Tig. Ahoy. <laughs> Shall we jump right in? I think we should jump right in. Okay, today we are here to discuss Janestown. Returning to a planet where he ran into some serious trouble years ago, Jane discovers that he's become something of a folk legend. Mal decides to use this admittedly entertaining distraction in order to complete their job. But some unfinished business may derail Jane's plans. This episode first aired on October 18th, 2002, stars all the usual ne'er-do-wells, plus the perpetually cast as a horrible bastard, Gregory Itson as Magistrate Higgins, Zachary Kranzler as his son, Fess Higgins, and Kevin Gage as the, actually when you think about it, slightly in the right, Stitch Hessian. This episode was written by Ben Edlund and directed by Marita Grablack. Is that Grablack or Grabiak? I can't tell. I think it's Grabiak. So jumping straight into the episode, we open this one with Kaylee expressing disbelief that the always proper Simon um, ever uses swear words, despite his uh, protest that he does whenever they're appropriate. And, sh- you know, she's like, you know, the whole point of swearing is that it's, it ain't appropriate. Meanwhile, Inara parts for an overnight meeting with a client, and Jane is, well, <laughs> Jane is being Jane, and he's trashing the room <laughs> searching for bandages to take concealed weapons to his body. So Mal quickly, you know, says no, and <laughs> as he is the captain, even Jane obeys. Um, he's seemingly concerned about the possibility of running into enemies that he made in Canton years ago. So we're quite... Um, yeah, it's nice to see straight away a little bit of um, Simon and Kaylee on their own having another little bit of conversation because like in most previous episodes, they always end badly with Simon basically putting his foot in his mouth. Yep, he is. It's like, <laughs> like he's not a, a, a podiatrist, a foot doctor, because he'd have to be constantly <laughs> surgically removing his foot from his mouth. He definitely they do, would be. Yeah. <laughs> Such a smart man, he does not know how to talk to people it's quite funny this is a recurring theme even just in this episode every time he says something to anyone it just invariably ends badly which is yeah i think this is quite a quite a simon focused episode funnily enough it is yeah it's just um i've got to say re-watching now i'm slightly older i i I was always quite mean towards simon but actually i'm starting to warm towards his character a little bit like um i'll get into it more later when it's when it's appropriate (laughs) but um yeah, I find myself agreeing with him a lot more than I used to in my more rebellious days. But this opening scene contains one of my favourite lines in the whole episode. Like, someone walks in and Jane's just tearing everything apart. And he's like, Why? what's going on here? He's like, yeah, I needed tape. So you have to tear my surgery apart? Apparently. like, yeah. It's just such a Jane response. Like, well, I did it, so I must have needed to do it. Why else would I have done it? Classic. And it's almost in a way that he's like, you know, Simon's smart. So Jane's like, well, I did it. So clearly, like, duh. Like, why, why are you asking the question here? <laughs> you're supposed to be the smart, the smart one. one. Have you not noticed? <laughs> great minds think alike. And then the whole, um, he calls him a, 
a monkey or an ape. Yeah, it's another recurring <laughs> theme, calling Jane horrible <laughs> things that are worryingly accurate descriptions while being quite insulting at the same time. So I was just going to say, and we're worried why Jane, I guess, is seemingly worried of going to mm. this planet because, I don't know, at the moment we've only kind of seen him be scared by Reavers. Understandably so. we're wondering so. what kind of trouble he ran into, yeah. <laughs> uh, you have to wonder what secrets there are in his closet because, I mean, he's, he must have pissed a lot of people off over the years. That's just who he is. But if he's, you know, bringing a strap to a country that's banned weapons, you know, it's got to be something pretty freaking bad. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not quite what he seems, though. It's always fun. <laughs> and then as they arrive on the Higgins moon, the Canton factory settlement, Kaylee suggests to Mal that maybe Simon would like to join them on their expedition to recover some hidden loot. Mal considers having the well-dressed Simon pose an upper-class buyer on Canton's special ceramic-making mud is a pretty useful strategy, and Shepard Burke reassures the dismayed doctor that he will watch over the uh, always fun Summer River. Summer's her real name. <laughs> Simon ineptly plays his role as a buyer and the crew sets off to locate their contacts. Mal comments on Jane's relatively absurd attire of heavy clothes, hood, goggles and a mask, I believe, during a fairly hot day, when Wash remarks that he doubts anyone will remember Jane. Mal suddenly begs to differ as they come across a life-sized mud statue of Jane, complete with <laughs> sign, just in case anyone was even slightly unsure <laughs> Jane Cobb written in full capitals. And then Simon realises what it's like to go mad in another of my favourite <laughs> lines of the episode. Yeah, there's a few bits here. Like my first Simon moment is when they're realising that Simon might be useful and Mal's describing him and he's getting really uncomfortable and he's just like, just stop describing me because it's almost like he's uncomfortable with himself, with these people like pointing out just how kind of different to them he is very much it's one of those lines that starts off quite funny then you're like actually he must be really uncomfortable at this point I can, like i can kind of see why he doesn't want to be described right now yeah knowing that i feel like in the last couple of episodes he's kind of bonded with the crew more and he's mm. had some moments where he's kind of felt more at home there and then that kind of like really this whole little bit just really breaks him apart from the rest of the crew in like a really obvious way and then, yeah, you're right. If, if the statue wasn't looking like him enough, it's got his name big at the bottom, so there's no questions. But Wash is brilliant here as well, yeah, oh, with the yeah. whole, no one's going to remember you. <laughs> I mean, another case of Alan Tudyk exhibiting his absolutely perfect comedic timing. There's another great example towards mm -hmm. the end of the episode, but like, just the way that whole scene is set up is just everyone is playing their part perfectly. I absolutely fault the scene. So funny. And then we get the first... Um, little swear word from Simon just before we get the opening credits. <laughs> we'll get him to swear more by the end of the season, don't worry. Yep. So after that, um, so while an alarmed Jane fails to break his crew away from their admiration of his statue, Anara meets with the local magistrate, Higgins, the man that Jane crossed years ago. The slave owners have uh, hired Anara to bed so basically, he's hired Anara to bed his timid son, Fess, who's 26 and is not yet a man. Higgins reveals a penchant for dominating his son's life by attempting to rush the ceremony, but still, Anara intends to give Fess a proper companion union and politely 
but forcefully shoos the father out of her shuttle. She reassures the naive Fess that he need not be like his father, only to be himself, which may make him stronger. Mm. So yeah, Anara is boss. She is, yeah. There's a great moment in this scene when they when they're first kind of doing their introductions, and uh, Mr. Higgins is like, she's like, oh, Magistrate Higgins, pleased to meet you. He's like, don't worry, I only make the people I own call me Magistrate Higgins. Mr. Higgins is fine, and Anara just gives him this look, like she's like, you fucking what, mate? What did you just yeah. say? <laughs> I will exactly shoot that. you right now if you don't need to give if I don't need the money. Like, what? Who the hell says that? What a dick. <laughs> Uh, that sums up this scene. Yeah, I love that actor, though, the one playing he, like, playing Magistrate Higgins. I've seen him in a few things, always playing an absolute tool, and he's just he's so good at it. But I feel kind of sorry for him because he just he always plays tools. Yeah, the same way that Adam Baldwin is usually playing big burly lads. Indeed, that are just the muscle. <laughs> I noticed something quite interesting and mildly off topic though when we were watching this episode during the. Uh, the companion tea ceremony, the the important part of the whole ritual, I noticed Anara and I have the same teapot. Oh, really? Yeah, I recently purchased a cast iron teapot because apparently for my birthday I became 60. And I thought, (laughs) so I got a nice new teapot and it's cast iron and it's awesome. And it's the exact same one that Anara has. Although my cups are better because my cups are also cast iron. So I'm pretty sure I could kill someone with them. Yeah, it's just a (laughs) fun little fact I noticed there. Sadly, I don't have Anara to pour tea for me. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. sadly. <laughs> Back in the sky, uh, Book enters Serenity's common area to find River fixing his Bible by cutting, pasting and marking the pages. Book explains to her that even if the Bible didn't make sense to her, everything was a matter of having faith. River is surprised, apparently never having considered this before, but refuses to let go of the pages that she's torn out. So Book lets her have them. I really like this scene. Because it's just like, it's kind of a distillation of both the characters. Like, Book is really trying to explain to her, kind of, it's, it's quite a high concept, really, if you think about it. It's like faith and belief. They're, they can be quite hard to grasp. And River's being kind of very literal and scientific. And she's like, no, it, it must be quantum phasing. That's the only way Noah's Ark could work. It's like, no, it, it works because we believe it works and our belief makes it so. And she's just like, she's like, I can understand quantum physics and molecular calculations, but that just baffles me. I'm sorry. I'm keeping these pages because they're wrong. Very good. Yeah, it's that thing of like, I guess even people who are obviously super smart, scientists, whatever, can still be religious because the things that you believe in are not like that all these stories and things are factual, but you know, the meaning behind them and stuff. Whereas River's reading this book, try like analytically because that's how her mind works and it just doesn't kind of compute. So for him, he's kind of like struggling to understand her way of thinking. And yeah, she, she struggles to understand his way of thinking because they've just kind of lived really different lives. But um, yeah, it, it's it's quite good to see. I like the yeah the whole Noah's Ark bit and she's just like, it wouldn't work. <laughs> he's just like, you know, it's faith. And yeah, she just can't kind of fathom in her brain kind of what that what that means because I guess it's not a real... Uh, material thing that that she can like visualize in her brain so um it's nice just to have a little interaction between them mm. uh, two of the characters you don't often see kind of sharing just the screen together so it's, it's quite nice when you get to see them sort of you know breaking bread and having an exchange of ideas because they, um, they are quite sort of they are polar opposites as far as characters go like i don't think 
it would be possible to make two characters whose ideologies are more different than the shepherd and the sort of psychic science whiz. It's always fun to see them kind of try and find a bit of middle ground and find a way that both their viewpoints can kind of meet, which they did not manage in this situation, but they do slightly get to later on. So moving away from these slightly heavier topics, we head to the bar yeah. um, <laughs> where the crew enjoys the local beer, which is mother's milk. It's a well, um, Then a well-dressed gentleman arrives to tell the smugglers of complications to their job, namely the brutal death of their middleman. The contact suggests lying low until they come up with a way to move the loot past the foreman. But a crooner suddenly strikes a chord and sings Jane, the man they call Jane. <laughs> Jane, the man they call Jane. He robbed from the rich and he gave to the poor. Stood up to the man and he gave him what for. Our love for him now ain't hard to explain. The hero of Canton, the man they call Jane. As Serenity's crew listens in abject horror as the entire bar starts singing the ballad of Jane Cobb, when the song mentions money falling from the sky, Jane realises what's happened. He and his partner had stolen 60,000 credits from Higgins. However, their escape craft was hit by anti-aircraft fire and Jane was forced to jettison the money and lamented having had to drop all of that untraceable cash right into Mud Farmer Central in order to escape the planet. But suddenly the mystery is revealed why anyone would ever think that Jane Cobb is a hero. <laughs> Turns out he's not at he's all. Not. <laughs> it's a serendipitous accidental act of heroism, which is just about the only one I think Jane would ever do. I've, I've got to say, like, many people have tried to sort of take things from Joss over the years and they've awarded him various merits and everything. But there is one point that I think everyone even his most ardent detractors could absolutely agree on joss whedon can write an absolute tune like ballad of the uh, battle of serenity hero of canton the entire soundtrack of once more with feeling like dude can write an absolutely killer track there is no reason for a song that's sung maybe twice in the entire show to be as good as the hero of canton that song like that is an absolute beast of a track and he just wrote it for one episode just because why not how can you hate that yeah no i think the music is great um and the, his songwriting style as well is quite um quite unique really mm. i think he writes some stuff that and kind of goes places that people wouldn't um like it do, it's not just like like the obvious choices in a song like you know blatant chords and stuff if you listen to some of the stuff it's kind of like liking once more with feeling mm. some really weird like key changes and things there's a lot there's a lot going on there um they're always very interesting pieces indeed I still maintain that Once More With Feeling is one of the best musicals ever written. I've seen it a billion times and it never grows old. Oh, for sure. It's, yeah, it's a great episode and the song is great. We've got the album. It's just kind of, they just stick in your head. But yeah, another interesting fact, uh, the, the Mudder's Milk drink that plays a quite pivotal point in this episode is actually referenced again in the world of Warcraft. 
as I'm sure everyone, most people reading this or listening to this podcast will know, uh, Warcraft has like seasonal celebrations, like that roughly mirror sort of our big event, like Christmas, Valentine's, all that. But they also have Brewfest, which is their take on the uh, engineered holiday of Oktoberfest. And every year they have mm-hmm. the various factions, like putting in their favorite drinks and you can buy them and get really drunk and raise kegs. It's, it's fun. But one of the ogre's drinks is mother's milk. And it even has, I believe it has a quote, like a reference to Firefly in the flavor text of the uh, the item. So it's, I remember the first time I saw that, I was very happy and immediately bought many, many stacks and drank it all and had everyone call me mm-hmm. Jane for the day. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I have, um, I have a mother's milk t-shirt. It's got like the big big mother's milk logo on it with a little serenity in the middle. And I wore that when I went to uh, a signing with Adam Baldwin and he was like, nice shirt. And then I also wore it when I went for my, uh, I think it was like my second fitting for the Nevers after I realized it was a Joss Whedon production. (laughs) And it was specifically Joss Whedon was going to be there like checking everyone's costumes. And I remember I was just kind of sitting there waiting to be seen and he like walked past and he like glanced over and I was like, oh, he totally just saw my shirt and was like, sweet. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like, oh God, that one's a major nerd. Who, who invited her onto my set? <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so I was major fangirling. <laughs> Whilst being really professional, obviously. That's a tough act to follow. <laughs> Speaking of balancing two quite disparate feelings... Back on Serenity, River decides to bring the torn Bible pages back to book. But when he rises from <laughs> the sink, his unleashed mass of hair bouncing and waving around, she shrieks and just runs for the hills. Zoe <laughs> sort of mildly chuckles to herself as Book tries to coax the frightened girl back out of hiding to quickly resolve the matter. And Zoe promises River that Book will put the hair away now as he quietly ties it back. Like a lot of people focus on that scene, kind of the the hilarity of her sort of screaming and running away. But one of my absolute favourite lines from the whole thing that's actually in that uh, scene is she kind of she walks in quite timid, understanding that what she did before was wrong, and she wants to kind of make it right. She's like she's holding the pages, kind of clutching them in both hands. Like I tore I tore these out of your symbol, but they turned into paper again. It's like, such a good line. I love that line so much. <laughs> like. It gives you such a perfect idea of kind of what's going on in River's head. It's like, so good. And I like that he tries to kind of explain to her why he has his long hair. And Zoe's just like, he's going to put the hair away now, honey. Just <laughs> coming <laughs> out. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it is quite, a, um, it's just because I think for anybody, like even when Zoe sees him, she's like, whoa. Because <laughs> from like being neatly tied up to all out, it's... um. A little bit of a shock for anyone, but yeah. Zoe's brilliant as ever. She is, yeah. Um, Moving on from the mass amount of hair, as the crew leaves the bar, they find a huge crowd cheering for the hero of Canton outside. Trying to escape the crowd, Jane runs back inside, only to find himself offered the best whiskey and accolades from all. The smuggling contract... Um, Contact is horrified by Mal's supposed idea of lying low, but Mal soon develops a plan around this considerable distraction. And that, I love the whole, um, he tells him, oh, this is, you know, it's all part of the plan. And Kaylee's like, how is this part of the plan? He's just, "Um, I'm still working on that part. (laughs) Great line. (laughs) I love um, it. Yeah. um, Zoe, no. Jane's like, 
no, you know, I, I'm not the hero. I don't let anything to do with this. And he goes, and he's like, I'm, I'm not a hero. He's like, oh, just give me some, give me some mother's milk. And he's like, no, heroes drink the best whiskey. And he's like, maybe I am the hero then. Give me that whiskey. The only way to coax a scared Jane out of his shell is to give him the best whiskey in the house. It's funny that they think they're leaving and that everything is going to be fine. And it's just, yeah, the, the, the young boy has gone and obviously told everyone in the town that Jane is there. Yeah. How- Jane, our saviour, is back. And <laughs> He's come back to help us. Nope. Didn't help you the first time. Not here to help you the second time. Just here for more crime. Sorry. So Mal heads back to Serenity with Wash and tells Zoe how this unexpected celebration of Jane is actually going to cover, is exactly the cover they need to sneak their stolen merchandise past the foreman and his prods. Unfortunately, the foreman has learned of Jane's return and reports this to the magistrates. The official then releases a man from a cramped prison box and gives him a loaded weapon. The freed prisoner's surprise is increased when he learns about Jane's return, because he happens to be Stitch Hessian, the partner Jane abandoned four years ago during his flight from Canton. Ooh, things suddenly (laughs) went very wrong. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. (laughs) Again, um... Wash is the first thing that stands out to me. He's like, oh, Mal- oh, he says about the um, the Jane is a, a folk hero. And Zoe's just like, what? <laughs> and Wash is just in like a hysteric. And I know he's drunk, but he's just like, he's never found anything as funny as he has found Jane being a hero. <laughs> I think he's, he's probably not even that drunk. It's just the idea of Jane being lauded as a hero is so funny. He's lost all sense. It's quite interesting to note, though technically even less than usual jane is anything but a hero like when you actually hear the full story it was an absolute Mm. dick move what he pulled like i'm kind of on stitch's side jane does kind of deserve a whipping for what he did like pushing the guy out before the gold so he can try and keep it for himself (laughs) you don't do that to your crew man mal would not do that wash would not do that if you drive to the zoe she would shoot you in the face like it's kind of hard to side with him Gives you that worry of, like, on the one hand, like he says, oh, you would have done the same to me. So, like, would 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 Stitch have done the same, even though he says he wouldn't? And also mm. gives us the worry of, um, you know, how quickly will he sell out the current crew that he's with mm. for a, a large amount of cash? You know, would he be willing to kill, um, kill any of them just to get just to get a payoff? So it is quite worrying. It is. That's the point. You realise the question isn't would Jane betray them. It's how much would Jane betray them for? How big would yeah. the offer have to be for him to switch sides? It's a question we don't want to find out, but we will soon. Yeah, I think it's funny because the rest of the crew seem to genuinely want to be part of that crew on that ship. Mm. Whereas Jane, I feel like, has come from, a, or from watching the show anyway, you think he's come from a background where he's really just like a hired mercenary, really, hired body, you know? Yeah. Um, hired bit of muscle so he's probably never been as close with a crew or with a crew like that he's probably worked mostly like with a guy or two like this job yeah and and, and moved around a lot so it's kind of um do you think oh now he's kind of more with a family crew will he would he betray them as easily but yeah i think with jane it's it's money 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 and probably some whiskey and then he'll do anything money whiskey women blank blank the crew that's his <laughs> list of priorities rain stick rain yeah rain oh god have the rain <laughs> stick yeah 
So yeah, I mean, I guess upon meeting Stitch, I think maybe because of the reasons you're saying that you kind of feel sorry for Stitch um, and Jane's kind of the real bad guy in that past scenario, Hmm. I think is why they've made him so kind of a bit grotesque and um, Hmm. maybe just really over-the-top bandit, unlikable type person so that you don't feel sorry for him. Yeah, like the kind of the initial. Oh, he's kind of right though. Just flies completely out the window when he starts beating the crap out of Simon. It's like, yeah, okay, you may have been in the right in the last situation, but now you're being a tool. Stop it, or we'll shoot. Yeah, you. we don't have any guns, but we'll find a way to shoot you. We'll hit you with a brick <laughs> or something. So heading on back to the other guys, we see Mal return to fetch Kaylee and Simon, the befuddled doctor, who finds the engineer draped over him on a couch. Good position for him, I'm sure. Mm. Tries to explain how nothing happened and again manages to insult the frustrated woman. Collecting a tipsy Jane, they head off, but Kaylee stops Simon in his tracks with her scorn. As the doctor eats breakfast alone, Stitch arrives, beats him, and drags him off as a hostage to confront Jane. So yeah, here we see the ever-likely befuddled Simon getting in a hole with Kaylee again. He just can't make it work. He's... (laughs) <laughs> it's a very like uh, Kaylee isn't the only one frustrated watching the two of them interact it's like she's all but throwing herself at you how are you not realising what's going on here yeah I like how like their previous bit of conversation is quite nice it's kind of like the first time they're talking like at the beginning they're being a bit more open with each other and you're thinking oh they're making good progress here and they're just kind of being you know it's all out on the table and they're just talking but yeah it's <laughs> It just always goes south. And Kaylee at the end, like she, she knows how to throw some serious shade. Yeah. It's like <laughs> And then when she's like, Oh, um, you know, someone respectable like you should be having you know, it'd be appropriate if he was having breakfast right now and he just sits down kind of like trodden a little bit and he's like, Um, can I see a menu? And you just hear the guy from behind the bar like, Oh what? <laughs> yeah. Honestly, whoever spoke that line, I, so good. It was just so brilliant. It was just like, what? Uh, I mean, even the orcs of Moria know what a menu is. How can this guy not? But it's like, it's just another example of how literally every time he speaks to anyone in this episode, he says the wrong thing. Like, I don't yeah. think he finishes, except when he's drunk. I don't think he finishes a sentence without the other person being pissed off. Although I have to, I have to say, um, Stitch probably couldn't have picked a worse person to use as a hostage against jane like if there was that is brilliant yeah, yeah if there was anyone i think on that boat he would willingly sacrifice it would probably be simon so <laughs> yeah he doesn't know that but we do so it's extra funny this does go back to what i was saying earlier about me kind of slightly being more on simon's side this time while obviously he did overreact and say the wrong thing when he kind of got caught under a kaylee blanket I have the distinct suspicion that the reason he reacted the way he did wasn't because he's kind of repulsed by Kaylee or anything. But if he if he if he'd been like, yeah, we were just having a bit of a snuggle. What's the deal? I think he honestly suspects that Mal would just shoot him. So I think it was more about protecting himself from Mal's possible wrath than it was about any kind of anything to do with Kaylee, really. So I mean, yeah, I felt a little a little bad for him in that situation. That again, he was just trying to do what's proper and ended up getting a bit screwed over yeah. for it, but. I mean, he keeps doing it. <laughs> I think even though the age gap between Mal and Kaylee is not, um, you know, big enough for him to be like her father figure, he's at least almost like an older brother. Absolutely, yeah. So you know, even though he sees it as funny and he's kind of like, "Oh, look, Kaylee and Simon are getting a bit close," and he he's clearly okay with if that mm. happens. If he did ever seriously hurt Kaylee, yeah, 
Simon knows that he would <laughs> be on the bad side. So I think it's just that instinctual reaction, isn't it? Like, what? Nothing. Nothing's going on. Nothing happened. I didn't do anything. Exactly. But obviously, um, she takes that to mean that you know, because he says he never would. Yeah, I think that's the line that really. It was like nothing's happened. She was like, "It's true, nothing happened." He's like, "Not with Haley, never." And she's like, "Come on, dude." You don't need to phrase it that way. You did, you did everything but go, blech, no way. Like, <laughs> There's no need to be that emphatic with your mm. uh, kind of diffusal of the situation. But yeah, <laughs> he's not good at thinking on his feet. So what can you do? Silly Simon. Mm. Speaking of silly situations, that was terrible. Uh, back on Anara's shuttle, Fess expresses disappointment in not feeling any different after losing his virginity. Fess's self-discovery, however, is interrupted when he finds himself summoned to a criminal hearing for a villain whom the magistrate plans to capture. As Fess describes the folk hero who stole from his father and gave to the poor, Inara mistakenly thinks Fess is describing Mal and waxes warmly about this noble hero. <laughs> she receives her own shock when Fess expresses surprise that she knows the amazing, legendary, heroic Jane Cobb. The... There's a, just the reaction from Inara is probably one of her best performances in the entire series. The moment she's like, ah, oh, because I'm kind of warm, like, yeah, Mal's so dreamy, Jane Cobb. And she's like, <laughs> like this is what going insane feels like. like. The change in her face is just brilliant. It says a thousand things mm. without ever needing to utter a word. It's so, so good. Yeah, you see straight away when she starts thinking, oh, that's Mal. And mm. she has this like loving look, and she's instantly like, "Oh, it's Mal! Oh, what a noble guy!" And when it's Jane, it's just that, that yeah, that instant switch. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we then see Mal, Zoe, and Wash hauling the cargo on their little buggy and load it onto Serenity. While Jane, warming to the idea of being heroic, gives a moving speech before the adoring crowd. Suddenly, a shot rings out, and Stitch appears, dragging the poor doctor along. After tossing Simon aside, Stitch addresses the crowd, telling them what really happened, how Jane dumped him before he dumped the money, and the whole Robin Hood-like act was just a mistake. However, when Stitch moves to shoot Jane, a young mother leaps in front of the hero, blocking the shot. After Jane kills his former partner with a deftly thrown knife, he runs to the mother boy and yells at the lifeless body, unable to accept his sacrifice. He then shouts to the crowd that he is no one and certainly not a hero, and there aren't any heroes, just people like me. When an even younger lad offers him his knife, apparently ignoring his tirade, Jane snatches it back and knocks down the statue in disgust. I really like that scene because like, there's his first kind of vague attempt at giving a speech that's... I mean, it, it sort of works, but it's, it's not the most eloquent speech ever written. And then everything goes to part as uh, Stitch turns up and like kills that guy and it all goes horribly wrong. And then you see Jane actually kind of speak from the heart. And like, yeah, he's you know, shouting and being quite horrible. But like, I think that's a far more honest speech than the first one he gave. Like, sometimes the galaxy does just suck. There are, there are bad people throughout the verse, and he is definitely one of them. So like, it's, it's kind of sad seeing him sort of tear down his own legend. But at the same time, it's like, now they finally understand who he really is. And the fact that they maybe possibly still think of him as a hero... It kind of it's more honest mm. now and I like that yeah I mean I don't think Jane is the kind of bad guy that's gonna like wander into town and start killing people willy-nilly or anything he's not like Stitch. <laughs> that level bad yeah but he's um yeah definitely got no kind of moral compass um 
And yeah, you get to see him have that kind of after moment with that second little speech of him kind of, I don't know, the first time you really see him speak from the heart and kind of had kind of feelings that aren't driven by some form of greed or anger or just excitement for a bit of violence. Yeah, the baser emotions. Well, the violence in this is quite, like, the knife throw is kind of like, oh, that's badass. But then afterwards, when he's, like, thrashing him against the, like, against the base of the statue, which is kind of like a big moment because he's, like, literally beating this guy to death, like, at the bottom of a monument put up in his honour. Yeah, the symbolism is real. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) you can't miss that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's quite a kind of like, whoa moment and then yeah the fact that like the boy gives him his knife back and then like he knocks down the statue but you think um like when Mao speaks later and says about you know sometimes people just need something to believe in which kind of throws back to the whole bible situation with shepherd Indeed. um uh it makes you think you know a lot of the time they're probably putting his statue back up and thinking you know what Regardless of what he did, you know, he still made the town a better place, even if it was a mistake and blah, blah, blah. It was meant to happen. And he, the events that he was here, you know, made our lives better for a while. Something, something, something. And that statue's probably back up. You don't know, do you? Yeah, I'd probably be willing to bet money that it was. Like, he's not a hero. That doesn't mean he's not their hero. Yeah. Which is always interesting. Mm. It's a, a fine but important distinction. When the crew eventually reboard Serenity, Wash attempts to take off, but finds out the ship is landlocked per the Magistrate's orders. However, it is quickly released because Fess has decided to prove himself a man by defying his father's attempts to catch the hero of Canton. <laughs> I really love that scene. I love... Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, go on, you go, you go. I really love that scene because, like, Inara walks in and Wash is completely losing it and she's like he's just like smashing buttons and alarms are going he's like hey Wash is there a problem and he's like problem is there a problem and then he's like ping and everything goes green he's like no there's no problem and he just sort of takes off he's like I thought we were in trouble but somehow we're not let's just make our escape it just makes me laugh he's just like oh, no no everything's fine but it's great because like she enters and is like obviously knows what's happening because mm. Fess has told her and um yeah, she knows that the reason they can go now is because obviously Fesser's stood up to his dad. So she's got like this and she's just like watching him, yeah, thrash at the <laughs> at the console and be angry because it's like, what's happening? You see the little kind of subtle smile across her face when the lights go green. She's mm. like, damn, my boy did it. He's a man now. <laughs> Have you seen Death at a Funeral? Yes. With Alan Tudyk, right? What a film. Yeah, like the original one, not the dodgy remake. Yeah, the original. Yeah, I mentioned it before. Um, Chirag hadn't seen it and I was like, you have to watch it. It's like Alan Tudyk. And because it's like this American actor just plonked in the middle of this um, like very dark British comedy, (laughs) it's like even funnier because he's just so hilarious. Mm, Um, Ultimate fish out of water situation. Yeah, I, they're just like just like the most subtle moments um that they're just the funniest things ever if you haven't seen it watch it um mm. like for sure it's just so hilarious it's, it's peter dinklage isn't it but i think he's in both that one and the remake i think he is yeah because he's just he's just that good <laughs> 
I do, most of my favourite films are films where nothing really happens. You know, films, there's not like a specific beginning, middle, Mm. end, like something that they have to overcome or do. It's just like, here's a few days in this person's life and now the film's ended. I like films like that because I feel like, especially nowadays, films are like way too grand for their own good and (laughs) too long and try to make things too complicated and too many plot points and it's just like, oh, come on. (laughs) A kind of like a good laid-back, chilled film with good characters. Mm. So at the end of the day, it's all about the characters. If you have good characters, everything else springs from that and is brilliant. I think that's one of the it reasons why uh, Joss's work is still just as strong now as it's ever been, because he just knows how to write amazing characters, and yeah, that, that carries a lot. Like in Firefly, they've all got they've all got their own essence that they bring to the show, mm. and the show wouldn't be the same if you took any of them out. It would like ruin the, the whole dynamic. Absolutely. Whereas there's yeah. a lot of shows that I just can't get a hold of because there's like at least one character that I'm kind of like, eh. And then it just loses my interest. So we then see Shepherd Book comes near a very calm river who is now drawing um, to get a book that's near her, but she still clearly remembers Book's hair with her telling him, just keep walking, preacher man. Um, (laughs) And then we see uh, Kaylee has a heart-to-heart with Simon and briefly makes him worry about his propriety after the previous night's party. (laughs) (laughs) She got him good. Such a great scene. It is so good. Also with the the book and river, like it's kind Mm. of like, it's nice to see her have quite a, a natural reaction and kind of relationship with someone almost in like in jest kind of thing you know yeah so a bit of um, bit of banter a bit of back and forth bit of banter yeah and then obviously with Kaylee and Simon the same kind of thing um <laughs> you know she feels comfortable enough that she can just like he's so easy to play and she likes that about him and you know they've, they've basically admitted now that they like each other but it's just kind of you know how how do you take it from here kind of thing yeah it's always that that dangerous first step but yeah, it was watching this scene. It's like this was one that you know, really kind of. That's why I really had to, really to connect with Simon. It's like before I was like it was a bit stuffy, bit of a you know, start shirt. But watching it, I was like, I can kind of see his point about how when you're surrounded by this kind of swirling maelstrom of chaos that is ninety percent of the planets they go to, being able mm-hmm. to kind of keep some level of propriety, being able to kind of keep that level of decorum alive. It is quite important just to not, you know, completely give up who you are and become kind of, you know, just another wanderer. Like he wants to try and kind of retain who he is, and you, you kind of have to give him credit for that, even if it does mean that he's sometimes quite annoying. Yeah, it's kind of that. Um, I guess he wants to walk that fine line because clearly the people that he shares a ship with don't generally, uh, on the face of it, like people like him. Mm. Um, because I don't know they're wealthy and they come from a different world and they don't understand what real life is like or whatever mm. reason but for him even if he kind of agrees with them that a lot of people that he may have known he didn't really like and they're like that that's part of who he is and it's how he's grown up and you know he knows he's a good person and that's just a part of him and he doesn't want to lose any part of him especially when he's in a world that is so far from that he he has to kind of fight to to hold on to it 
And to be fair, if his way of holding on onto it is being polite, <laughs> then it's really not that bad, is it? Indeed, there are far worse ways to sort of hold on to who you used to be, <laughs> i.e. Jane betraying everyone and shooting people. <laughs> yeah. Although I imagine Kaylee would be quite happy if he maybe wasn't quite so polite all the time. So the episode wraps with Mal finding Jane brooding about recent events and he just he can't comprehend why this young kid would sacrifice himself despite knowing that Jane was actually not the hero that everyone thought he was. Nor the fact that the town is more than likely putting the statue right back up moments after he left and still thinking of him as the hero. Mal tells Jane that every person who ever got a statue was bound to be flawed in one way or the other, which is probably quite true. And in this case, it ain't about you, Jane. It's about what they need. Which, yeah, it's a great sentiment, really. It's, it's very accurate. And I think he really kind of distilled the whole thing down into one quite simple sentence, which is always been Mal's thing, really. Yeah, I think it's kind of like the whole way through. It's like not necessarily anything to do with the fact that Jane is there. It's just it, it's giving these people something to believe in and something kind of like greater than themselves. Because, I mean, he says it in his speech. He's like, I think that you guys are basically like the lowliest, lowliest people of like the entire verse. Mm. Like you've got the, the short end of the stick. You know, having something bigger to believe in kind of gives you that will to go on if, you know, you live there and that's kind of your life. But so, yeah. And Mal, Mal you know, man of wisdom, Mal. This episode actually distills into a very easy to swallow package one of the most fundamental truths that i've observed about the world this is gonna be a little bit deep sorry that's fine basically so everyone listening to this everyone that you know someone out there in the world hates you i know for a fact there's a good handful of people that hate me and they and them and they're right too <laughs> you are the villain in someone's story no matter what you do no matter how nice you try to be on a day-to-day business one day you'll you know take a sandwich someone was grabbing for or you know bump someone as you walk along and it'll just be the wrong thing at the wrong time and every time they think about that now they just seethe with anger just like how stitch every time he thinks of jane is just filled with this murderous rage because as far as he's concerned he's been locked in a box for four years purely because of what jane did but on the flip side to that, you are also the hero of someone's story. Again, everyone watching this, 100% chance, no matter how wretched you think you really are, someone out there, 100% guaranteed, smiles every time they think of you. Someone out there right now is having a great day because of something you've done. You are, to them, the epitome of heroism. Just like Jane, just like the Mudders. The the core story of this episode is simple. Jane was in a ship with another guy. He screwed over the guy because he had to, to to keep the money. He realised he couldn't keep the money, so he ditched it, and then he flew away. As far as he was concerned, that was a nothing day. He tried to do a job, it went south, big deal, move on to the next job. But to Stitch, that was the worst day of his life. He lost an eye, got locked in a box, wasted four years. It sucks. Jane is the villain. Jane will always be the villain. And so he, you know, he tried to kill him for it. But to the Mudders, that was the best day of their life. They got 60,000 credits and they got to keep it. 
To them, Jane is the ultimate hero. He gave them freedom in a world where they had nothing. So from the, like the same event, one day, you know, to half the half this planet, Jane is the hero. To half, he's the villain. You know, just like everyone else, in some stories, you are the hero. In some stories, you are the villain. And it's, like, it's crazy how this kind of overarching concept of the world can be distilled into one 40-minute episode that also features a drink called Mudder's Milk. Like, <laughs> what? How do you write that? I, I'm <laughs> genuinely in awe of the ridiculousness and incisiveness of this episode. It is, it is very, very, very overwhelming. Well, this episode was written by Ben Edlund. Yes, great man. He's done a few other really cracking episodes. He, like, he knows his stuff. Yeah, I don't remember this episode being... Um, sorry, I, I remember this episode being uh, one of the ones I used to kind of look back to and watch more because I thought it was one of the funniest. Mm. But actually, on re-watching it, especially re-watching it after watching Our Mrs. Reynolds... <gasps> Not nearly as funny, like how our Mrs. Reynolds is like funny, hilarious level, like all the way through. This one's got like its funny moments, but actually, like on rewatching it, it's like, oh, this is quite deep, man. Yeah. This is like some serious stuff going down. <laughs> yeah. Although, one thing which throws me every time, and no matter how many times I watch this episode, I will not understand it. Why does the guy singing Hero of Canton have a coffee strainer on his head? Like that is a coffee filter. <laughs> that is not a hat. That is a used coffee filter. Why are you wearing? It I was on your actually head? Uh, the bit of costume that I noted was the the guy that kind of um, meets them off of the ship and walks them through the mudders pits. Um, had all sorts of things hanging off him, and he looked like he had like half of a tray that you'd cook like muffins or Yorkshire puddings in, mm, like Yorkshire hanging puddings. off his belt because it had it was like had like these yeah little, little cups, like, cups bits yeah. in yeah i'm like it is literally like someone's gone to you know i don't know a thrift store and just bought loads of random crap to hang off of <laughs> <laughs> hang off of people's clothing it is very possible <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was definitely the um costume mistake for this episode yeah and they're really trying to kind <laughs> of dial up the whole these people have nothing so they have to get by with what they do or with what they have like it's very bizarre also, just thinking about the production for this episode, they literally did have, like, all those pits of mud. Like, they would have had to go and dig out in a field somewhere. And, like, okay. that must have been a lot of work. Not only that, but, like, for all the extras, like, having to be in all those muddy pits. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that. They looked like they was point. really there. Like, yeah. yeah. I imagine, like, production-wise, it was actually quite a tricky one to film. There's no yeah. CG there. They're really in mud pits. <laughs> Yeesh. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that. That's a good, great point. It's built a whole little shanty town in the middle of nowhere. Kind of, um, I was going to say, I don't know if anyone watched The Mandalorian, but the, the first season of that, the episode with like the um, the the small town with the like the the blue fish or the in the, that little village, it was just a really nice, really nice little setting, but like quite impressive in terms of like a set and what's going on. But um, but yeah, I mean now they have crazy technologies with like creating sets and stuff whereas this was most definitely just like real i remember watching the one of the making ofs and um just whedon's like it literally it literally costs a million dollars to build a spaceship jesus i'm pretty sure it costs less than to build an actual spaceship <laughs> that's insane well they would have had to build like i mean they did build i think like the vast majority of it 
because yeah. they have to have you know when they're coming out of the bottom and then they have to have all their bunks you know you've probably taken up an entire soundstage just for all your ship parts mm-hmm. and then you need to create it all in like cg as well Oy, that's a lot of work so that's already like a massive budget you're asking for from a studio yeah just because it's fox they've got the money to spare fuck them <laughs> yeah they'll give you all the money they just won't air your tv show right <laughs> Uh, if you have any letters that you'd like to send to us, um, you can send those to fireflybits at gmail.com and that's fireflybits at gmail.com. Thank you, Tig, for joining me. And uh, would you like to share any uh, social media accounts that you have? Uh, yes, I just have the one. I am at the Hound Reacts on Twitter. I mostly share stuff from the YouTube channel and my comic reviews and occasionally try to... Uh, get comic book authors and famous people to notice me because that's what it's for <laughs> really isn't it <laughs> if you want to follow me online you can have a look at my instagram which is laura jp1721 and i've also recently started um live streaming some games um which i think i'll probably do most saturdays unless i have other things to do but um moving into october we're gonna do some halloween scary games which i don't play scary games because they scare me so much i usually kind of like throw the controller down because it's just my instinct (laughs) there's a zombie near me quick throw the controller and get out (laughs) but we're gonna give it a go and i'm sure it'll be hilarious (laughs) um good luck (laughs) yeah thank you (laughs) um so our next episode that we'll be talking about is out of gas which i think is one of my favorites absolutely yeah it's, it's a real that, that was one like people always say like, oh hey obviously i can't pick a favorite episode but if i had to it'd probably be out of gas <laughs> yeah i think it's just um it's one that's like the most different from all the others it's kind of like set aside mm. um but yeah so basically uh in out of gas uh we see um so on its way to Greenleaf, Serenity suffers a catastrophe that leaves her crew with only hours of oxygen. As the crew struggles to survive, flashbacks show how Mao and Zoe acquired Serenity and assembled their motley band. Yeah, it's just interesting getting to see how they all come together and also probably, you know, one of the, the biggest times where they're kind of really up against uh, death and you're, it's mm. not like an easy way out. It's, it's um, yeah, some real threat yeah, there. But... <laughs> Everyone um, loves an origin story. Everyone loves an origin story. As long as it's not right at the beginning and takes up half the movie. Indeed. <laughs> like a lot of films. But um, yeah, we'll uh, talk about some other random movies next time, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but thanks again for <laughs> listening to this. And uh, we'll see you next time on Firefly Back in the Skies. See you guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.